on Thursday, June 11, 2015, we lost one of wrestling's greats. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, passed away. All that has been updated is that he suffered a fall at his home and was rushed to the hospital, where he passed away during the afternoon. Our Hearts at Sleeper Hole podcast extend out to Dusty, Cody, and the rest of the Rhodes family. Thank you, Dusty Rhodes, for the great entertainment, inspiration, and enlightenment. You will be missed. This is the Sleeper Hole Podcast. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Sleeper Hold Podcast, where there is no disqualification on the topics and falls count anywhere. We just witnessed the 2015 Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which I honestly felt was overall a disappointment. There was many screwed up parts that just, as a fan, made the show more and more frustrating. We don't know why Bray Wyatt came out of nowhere to screw over Roman Reigns from what I feel is something he deserved to win. Instead... We got someone who can't even pull off a great heel as the winner of the contract. I mean, come on. As a heel, if the biggest insult you get from people is how silly and stupid you look with your mohawk, you're not doing a good job as a heel. The Bella Twins pulled off twin magic to where it backfired, and the referee ended up reversing the decision. In the old days, the ref would have simply told them if they were going to pull that crap, they would have to deal with the consequences when it backfires. The IC title match, eh, it was okay. And the main event was a disappointing screw-up if I have ever seen one. Both contenders removed the belt, but Rollins was declared the winner, even though if the roles were reversed, you can bet that there would be some discrepancy and Triple H would say they had to start over or something since both came down with the belt. And aside from that, the Tag Team Championship was match was okay, the kickoff match was pretty neat, and the match of the night certainly belongs to Kevin Owens and John Cena. Now, I have made it clear in my blogs that I have a problem with the gimmick they gave to, to Owens. I actually got called out on this during Sunday's show by a local wrestler that I do respect. That, you know, as a podcast business, I should be unbiased. I'm just going to put this out here now that I disagree with this. I may know the insides and outs of the business to some level, and I may try to stay neutral, especially when it comes to local talent. But above all, I am a fan when it comes to local or national professional wrestling. If I was to be unbiased, I would review a crappy show and be like, it was pretty good, instead of calling out the things that get the fans heated up or that I disagree with. With that said, I try to be neutral and fair at the start but I do develop opinions of everything, whether it's the storyline, the talent, whatever, just like any other fan would. If I didn't, there wouldn't be anything to set me apart from the other wrestling podcasts, and more than likely, my listeners, such as you right here, would be going somewhere else. Besides, I state my opinions not just because I am a fan, but because I want exactly what happened on Sunday. 
I'm trying to get people to interact, to respond and speak up on their opinions. I run my mouth so you can hear from me on the topics of the podcast. But at the same time, I am wanting to hear from you. You are the viewers and fans just as much as I am. And I want to know your thoughts and opinions. It's why I offer for you all to speak out and also have it where replies can be posted on my blogs. Again, this isn't an attack on the person who inspired this little rant, but more of just showing why I respectfully disagree while also encouraging the rest of you to comment on this as well. If you think I'm crazy for liking John Cena and disliking Kevin Owens, then say it. I want to hear from you. It's a big part of what SHP is all about. Alright, time to get back on track. We are at the sixth and final installment of our series titled The Eras. We have covered a lot so far, but in this one I have just two segments to discuss and rant about, so let's not waste any more time here and get right into grappling with our first topic, Total Nonstop Action. When WCW went under, Jeff Jarrett was fishing with Jerry Jarrett and Bob Ryder while discussing the future of wrestling. They realized that now there was only one promotion that stood out, and that was the WWE. They felt that this was bad for the wrestling business as a whole, and something needed to be done. So the three founded TNA, Total Nonstop Action. Initially, they did not want to do weekly episodes on national TV but instead prepared to do a series of pay-per-views. It did work for them, but they did eventually emerge as a weekly show on national TV to compete with WWE. TNA Impact would be aired on Fox Sports, and a new six-sided wrestling ring would be displayed. So it wasn't the squared circle anymore for them, but the hexagon circle? Or hex circle, I guess? Eh. With the dawn of weekly episodes, though, TNA would transition to what was the norm for current and former wrestling promotions on television, which was to have a three-hour pay-per-view once a month. In 2005, TNA would move from Fox Sports to Spike TV. To assist them on their success, TNA even hired Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff to help with behind-the-scenes work. Now, eventually these two would be exposed to the cameras yet again. They would hire other well-respected names at the time, including Ric Flair, Rob Van Dam, Jeff Hardy. They would also eventually transition back to the four-sided ring as they moved into a Monday night slot on Spike TV to compete with the WWE. In 2010, TNA was moved from Monday nights to Thursday nights, and renamed TNA Thursdays, which eventually would just be called Impact Wrestling. 2013 and 2014 saw many well-known names leave the company as their contracts would expire and they did not resign with the company. That included Hulk Hogan, Sting, and Christopher Daniels. Jeff Jarrett also would resign from TNA even though he was still noted as an investor of the company. Meanwhile, though, Kurt Angle would become a free agent, and he would sign to TNA, as well as Matt Hardy. 
I will admit, though, I never really watched much of TNA, so there's not a whole lot I know about the history of this company, and I do sincerely welcome anyone to give feedback and insight to this company. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. Therefore, we have decided to feature a charity every quarter that we are supporting and invite you to support as well. Following his induction into this year's WWE Hall of Fame, we have decided to make our first charity, Connor's Cure. Head on over to our website at thesleeperhold.com and click on Connor's Cure on the right side of the page for more information. As we head to a close of the series, we only have one more section to talk about, and I hinted a little bit about it during the last episode. It is the current era for the WWE and I feel it is one that I will have a hard time not showing some bias towards. But I will give it a bit of background as, as well as my opinions, and hopefully you all will be willing to share your thoughts and opinions on it too. So let's lock in the sleeper hold on this series for the win and discuss the most recent WWE era, the reality era. As stated before, I feel the catalyst to the current reality era of the WWE was all played in part to CM Punk delivering what has been called the famous pipe bomb speech. I don't think that at the time he or even the WWE had an idea that this would lead to such a thing, but with the high level of popularity that came with this promo, I kind of feel that the WWE decided to run with it for the entire company. Another milestone that played a part in this is when Triple H came out on Raw to tell Vince McMahon that the company's board of directors felt it was time for him to step down. The show had seen a lot of damage from McMahon's choice representative, John Laurinaitis, who became quite power-hungry. With the two stepping down, Triple H took over and things still began to spiral a bit out of control. At one point... Pretty much the entire WWE roster, referees, and other crew members had walked out of the company due to concerns of unsafe work conditions and having no confidence in their COO, Triple H. The walk was led by David Otunga, who had gone to legal school, the champions, Vicky Guerrero, and Jack Swagger. Even the commentators walked out. What caused this was the ruthless actions of R-Truth and The Miz during the previous Hell in a Cell pay-per-view of 2011. John Laurinaitis was still Executive Vice President of Talent Relations at the time and advised for Triple H to invite everyone to the ring for a vote of confidence during Raw. With a unanimous vote from the company, it was pretty much an attempt to make Triple H step down from power and relinquish his day-to-day responsibilities of Raw. This, of course, angered and confused the game, as he mentioned the glory days where problems were settled in the ring and not with a walkout. Ironic statement if you think about the era that was beginning and would have Triple H as a leader of the company under the brand The Authority. Still, Triple H stood firm on his belief of what he could do for the company It would continue the next week's Raw with the remaining cast who were not there in voting of no confidence against him. John Cena, CM Punk, Big Show, Sheamus, and Randy Orton would all headline the show, even if it was a small roster for a three-hour performance. 
Likewise, Christian would declare he would lead a solidarity rally outside the arena prior to the show starting. Ironically, the WWE Universe at the time had almost complete confidence in the game running day-to-day operations, leaving under 15% to side with those who walked out. Unfortunately, Vince McMahon would appear to explain to his son-in-law that the company was concerned and have to overpower Triple H from his ranks to give it to John Laurinaitis. Really bad move in my books. Again, though, this was all before the official start of what would be called the reality era. But I feel that these two were key factors to the company transitioning to this point. The reality era was dubbed as starting just last year in 2014, but again, the date is hazy depending on who you talk to. The main thing you need to know is that the reality era as a whole decided to lift the veil on kayfabe and other traditions of the company. Kayfabe is simply put as like the magic of the storytelling. It's having the wrestlers be in the character, like Kane as a demonic monster who was once burned alive by his brother, the Undertaker. It's the magic of wanting to believe the story and have the wrestlers tell you a story besides, oh, he looked at me funny, I'm going to punch him. There's actually a storytelling. It was, it was great for everybody to enjoy. Instead, now all things were told for exactly what they truly are. Some saw this as a great transition as it opened some doors for the company and no longer made it where writers had to figure out how to make stories transition to still being believable with the gimmicks. Even Triple H was recorded on a podcast talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin where he pretty much all but said directly that kayfabe is dead i mean the two talked about it a lot and he kind of beat around the bush to where it pretty much is clear that kayfabe is pretty much dead here's the thing though for me wrestling is an escape a release i work i go to college i have other stresses in my life my escape is to enjoy the stories and matches i see in wrestling yes wrestling will always be dubbed as a male soap opera despite the growth of many female fans. But it is where we want to be a child again and believe in the magic that is being unfolded before us like we did when we were children. You didn't question if Cain was a demon when you were a kid. You took it for face value. Who else could make fire just jut out from the ring post? And only a dead man, like the Undertaker, could survive and return time and time again have to be slammed in a casket or buried alive. Those days are gone now, and the new generation of fans will have a different look at the wrestling world than what I did when I was growing up, and I feel that's a shame. Another key point of the reality era was the birth of many new talent that would arrive from NXT to be big names in the WWE. Names like Bray Wyatt, Eric Rowan, Luke Harper, Cesaro, The Usos, Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Paige, and Xavier Woods. Even now, more talent is transitioning from NXT to the WWE with their exciting and unbelievable moves. Another launch of the reality era was the WWE Network, which became a large success for the company as well, and we're going to get to that. 
the air would also launch the domination of Stephanie McMahon and Triple H as figureheads and commanders of the WWE, otherwise known as The Authority, whose slogan was that they always did what they considered best for business, even if that meant it was against what the WWE universe strongly thought. Once more, the people in power were the ultimate heels, just as when Vince McMahon was in power during the Attitude Era. During this time, we also saw CM Punk leave the company in what was at first a silent situation that now has been released on a podcast and had a controversial response by the WWE. We also saw the unthinkable as the undefeated WrestleMania streak of The Undertaker came to a close as he was pinned by Brock Lesnar, which I feel was not what was planned, but we'll get to that another day. We also were exposed to what was dubbed as a B-plus player in Daniel Bryan overcoming the odds and becoming the WWE Champion at WrestleMania. Along this, we saw the Shield go from being a dominant stable to falling apart by the hands of Seth Rollins, as well as the WWE Heavyweight title and the World Heavyweight title become unified and won by Randy Orton in a ladder match against John Cena. Acknowledgments of real-life situations, such as marriages or leaving the company, were now made public instead of being set behind the scenes. In one swift motion, everything about the wrestling world was changed and turned upside down. So, now you have a quick background of the whole thing, as well as some of my thoughts about kayfabe being dead, and let me just say a few more things to share my thoughts on this era. There are some good things, I promise. First off, though, I feel like the reality era has become too predictable. I can almost always call out when someone is going to get screwed over and not given a proper chance. Now, this may be due to me being older, but I also feel that's because it's done way too often, and certain stars... They they have happened to him so often that it's almost expected out of the company, or rather the authority. John Cena or Daniel Bryan tried to do something that would be awesome, screw them over. I knew Seth Rollins would cash in his money in the bank at WrestleMania. Granted, there have been some surprises, such as Sting arriving to the WWE, but more often than not, things are predictable with very few plot twists. I almost feel like over two-thirds of my time watching Raw has come to me calling the match before it happens. That's a shame. Where are the twists and turns that keep me guessing at the edge of my seat? I know they were there during the WWE Universe era, and that wasn't that long ago. Now don't get me wrong, some predictions are very welcomed, like Randy Orton turning his back on the authority, but the company needs to give us more surprises and less screw jobs, especially when it has been overplayed on a superstar and they need to finally pay up on what is due to that talent. The reality era has done some good things for the upcoming talent though. By promoting NXT further and allowing their rising stars to show off on their bigger shows and pay-per-views, people are now interested in seeing who will be coming up as part of a fresh and new roster. Think of Neville. Oh my gosh, the kid is amazing. And 
Although I still enjoy veterans in the roster, these guys are pulling moves out of thin air that I never imagined seeing before. So a lot of love and support to NXT and the new talent that is appearing. The reality era also has played off of social media in probably the smartest of ways, if you ask me. Granted, the rumor is that they tell their talent what exactly to post in response to matches or in preparations of matches, but the fact is that the WWE is all over the place. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they all have WWE and superstars tied to those mediums. Fans are a little bit more connected to their favorite superstars, even if they don't always get a response. However, being a fan, if you post your thoughts on a show or superstar, you do have a chance of either being reposted, favorited, or my favorite, responded to. It's a great way for the fans to finally communicate as well as the superstars to their fans. You combine that with uh, WWE creating a streaming video service called the WWE Network, and they are taking things to a whole new level. World Wrestling Entertainment played a smart hand when it came to social media and internet demands, and this is definitely going to be something that's going to carry them over to the top for quite a long time. The one thing, though, that I want to address, and it has been happening even before the reality era, but seems to be more dominant now than it ever has been, is the frequency of certain talents appearing in the ring. I will always be a fan of these superstars, but I get really, really sick of seeing people like Triple H and The Undertaker not step foot into the ring except for major events like WrestleMania. Having them appear once, if lucky twice, into the squared circle and taking a slot away from a talent that has busted their butts all year long for those moments is very upsetting. Again, I love seeing The Taker at the grandest stage of them all, but come on! At least make your presence known more than just during that time frame. Triple H and now Sting need to make sure they don't follow this path and are part of more than just one show or two pay-per-views and weekly episodes or else there'll be a burnout as well. I mean, they need to make sure they're frequent. If they're not, then what's the point of trying to be hyped up and care about them? I understand if you were to say, well, look at what Paul Heyman said about Brock Lesnar not always being around. It's like Christmas. You can't have Christmas all the time. I get that. But the same token, if you are there to wrestle, show up and show up on a frequency. Build that fan base. If you're only going to show up one time and you're going to take some valuable slot away from somebody else who's worked over 300 days out of the year, who could get a huge paycheck for the grandest stage of them all, it just really gets under my skin. Now, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing Taker take down Bray Wyatt, and I will always be a fan of the dead man, but if the frequency is going to be this low, part of me would rather see him hang up his boots, and it kills me to say that. Likewise, if we're going to have a champion of the biggest title in the WWE, we need to see him honor the tr tradition of defending the said title, or any title for that matter, within the 30-day period as what was once stated to be the rules for being a champion. Remember, 
Daniel Bryan was stripped of the title for this very reason, since he was injured and couldn't defend the title during the required time frame. So why do we let Brock Lesnar, when he was a champion, get those special privileges and become an exception to the rule? I understand that he's not the champion now, and we have seen Seth Rollins defend it on a more frequent basis. But at the same time, Seth Rollins has, for the most part, proven to be a closet champion. And when he has one, it's either been a screw job or something controversial. So I'm not going to even get into that right now. It's issues like this, though, that have made me feel that the belt has become a bit of a joke. And any respect that I could have for these talents is slowly starting to become thrown out the window. Now, granted, in regards to Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman, Brock has still some good respect, but he, it has diminished for a while there, but it's starting to come back. And Paul Heyman, I got a lot of respect for the guy. He's one of the best managers I've seen. And, I mean, Paul Heyman even gave me a great drinking game. But we will get to that on a later episode, I promise. Well, that's it for our series, The Eras. In two weeks, I welcome my good friend Mickey Thomas to our show as we will discuss some comparisons of the WWE to the local independent feds like Mickey's Pinfall Wrestling Association. You won't want to miss this. See you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com to comment on episodes, read our blog, for information about the quarterly charity, and more. See you in two weeks.